My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, you came on a good, came on a good week, I think, because we're starting a, a new series called uh, There's an App for That. And, uh, you know, I, am, I, I love Apple. Uh, I do. That's part of it. Um, and I love my apps. And, there, you know, there's some, some really helpful, like, apps that have hugely affected my life. And then there's apps that um, somebody just had too much time in their hands. And so I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's actually an app called the Human to Cat Translator app. And literally what you do with this app is you, you talk in your phone, whatever it is you want to communicate to your cat, and play it back for your cat in meows, which I think is some kind of satanic language. language. And it's supposed to understand. And I think it works because I tried it on my neighbor's cat this week, and it never came back. So it seems to be very effective. Um, there's a, another app that I, <laughs> I found called the Ingrown Toenail app. Yeah. Definitely one of the grossest apps I've ever seen. Literally, it simulates removing an ingrown toenail. So if you're glutton for pain and you want to just take care of that yourself, there's an app for that. Um, Pretty gross. Another app uh, that could be helpful uh, for you, and if you have any suspicion that some of your friends are kind of flaky and might be prone to throw you under the bus, you actually upload a photo of a group of your friends, and it will brand fake across their forehead to let you know which one uh, is not a true friend. Um, you can throw the next photo up there. Uh, just make sure you're not in the picture because that just makes it, makes it awkward. Um, and probably the, the funniest app I came across is called iPoop. And uh, I debated whether or not to share this, uh, but here it goes. And literally, it logs your trips to the bathroom. And, uh, and then it tells you if it thinks you have a problem. And so if you need to maybe change your diet... Um, go to the doctor, uh, there's an app for that too, called iPoop. Um, truthfully, there's some, there's some funny apps, but there are, you know, apps, honestly, apps have changed the way that we interact. You can take that down. A little distracting, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, the, truthfully, apps have, have changed the way that we interact with the world. Uh, many of us, if you have a smartphone person, if you're a smartphone person, you have one, uh, it has for me. Um, I use apps to do all kinds of stuff. Do you remember when you used to actually have to carry around like a like a chunky, like, uh, digital camera just to take pictures, right? None of us do that anymore, right? Because we have cameras, and we can actually edit those photos and share those uh, on our phones. Um, I have, we bought a, a house like a month ago. It's the first time I had set foot in a bank in about a year um, because I've got an app for that, a Wells Fargo app. I can digitally deposit all of my checks and do my online banking from there. Uh, when I work out, I've got an app for that. Uh, logs my entire workout. Um, what I'm eating, can put in everything I'm eating, it counts my calories, how many, how many calories I've lost. Um, really cool app. Uh, another app, uh, when I went running last year, uh, both times I used an app. And there's an app that actually it shows you like your track and how far you've actually traveled. It tells you what your mile pace is and how many calories you've burned uh, so far. It's, it's really cool. Um, I use an app to buy movie tickets. I use apps to, to buy food. Uh, I use apps to um, buy my coffee. When I go to Starbucks, I use my app. They just scan my phone. Um, it's absolutely amazing. Apps have changed the way that many of us live our lives week in, week out. And if you haven't figured out how to do that yet, just, you know, you can. And it's actually, it's really cool. So in this series, actually, we're not talking about Android. We're not talking about Apple as much as I do um, love Apple and partial to them. Um, what we're talking about is talking about faith apps. And we're talking about different apps from the Bible for your life that if you applied them, uh, have the potential to be a game changer. Uh, but the key word there is, is if you apply them. 
So this morning, what I want to do is really more than anything, um, prepare our hearts and set the stage uh, for, this, for this series. And, and here's the thing. So if you are familiar with Mosaic and you've been around for any length of period of time, um, you know that, that we make a really big deal about God's grace here. All right? We shout grace from the rooftops. Um, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We believe that, that God loves you, period. Can't earn it. You can't keep it. You don't deserve it. It is just grace, grace, grace. Right? And, and here's the thing. With a, with a church like that, a church like that draws a, 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 a lot of different kinds of people. Right? So we've got people who are a part of this community, and, and you're not a follower of Jesus. You wouldn't count yourself as that. You're just asking questions, checking things out. It's one of the things that I love about, about this church, and that's a great thing. Right? So at Mosaic, like, you don't have to believe to belong. Honestly, we're praying. We're praying for you, and our hope is that one day you would bump into Jesus here, and it would change you forever. Um, but you don't, that's not a prerequisite for belonging. Right? But, but a church like this also draws like, a large spectrum of Christians as well. And so you've got Christians who, who have been changed or are being changed by God's grace. Right? But, but it also draws Christians that, that really like the idea of coming to a church where you never have to feel like you have to do anything with what you know. All right, you feel me? All right, this, that's like where the, the mood changes, right, in the movie. Like the, the, the screen just got dark and the music got, you know, scary. Um, right, but that can, that can happen um, where, where it draws Christians to kind of fit in that box where it's like, you know, I, I believe these things and I accept that it is God's grace and I love that it's God's grace, um, but I'm never actually going to, you know, when we read this stuff, I'm never actually going to do any of it. And the thing is, like that kind of faith, it doesn't work. Uh, it does not work. All right, and I'll tell you why. Right? I know something about you. Right? Whether you're a Christian or not, I know that you know Christians right, whose lives are being held together by duct tape and shoestring. Right? I, I, I bet, I'd be willing to bet that you know Christians uh, who made really bad decisions and as a result their marriage fell apart. Uh, I bet you know Christians um, who kind of just, every six months they're changing friendships. You know, and they're cutting ties, and they just kind of move on after six months, and they leave in their wake just this, just this emotional and relational carnage, and the relationships are just a mess. I, I bet you know Christians, maybe a lot of them, who, who made bad financial decisions, right, buying stuff they don't need with money they don't have, and as a result are being crushed under financial debt, right, just working just to keep up. Right, but can never get ahead because the math on the interest on those credit cards just does not add up. It doesn't make sense. You can never get ahead. Right, I, bet you, I bet you know Christians who are working at a pace that is not healthy and not sustainable. Maybe families where the kids resent mom or dad because they married the job and they were never there for you. And they call themselves, I mean, they're, they're Christian. Uh, I'd be willing to bet that you've got, um, you've got Christian friends who who got busted for, for looking at things they shouldn't have been looking at. Maybe others who got busted for putting things in their body that they should have been putting into their body. Um, right, and, and here's the thing, okay? God's, God's grace didn't spare them or the people in their lives uh, from the consequences of their decisions, right? And maybe they believed all the right things. Maybe they had their theology in order, uh, but it, it never got translated into action somehow, and as a result, they're trying to pick up the pieces. Um, I, I think, and this might sound kind of strong, but I, I think we would do well, maybe all of us, to just be reminded 
every now and then that God's grace is not a license to live like an idiot. Right? Nor will it spare us the consequences of our own idiocy. And by the way, if that sounds harsh, I'm speaking from experience here. Right? If Paul said it was the chief of sinners, so many times I've been the village idiot. And have, I have to learn through failure a lot more than the average person. Perhaps we need to wrestle with the possibility that while God's grace is free, actually walking free in that grace is a lot harder and a lot more demanding um, than sometimes we want to admit. And so for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to open up the scriptures and look at these life apps. Um, And the premise is, if you apply them, if you actually do them, uh, they could be game changers uh, for you. Uh, And so I want to look at a passage of scripture this morning in James, and and again, really just setting up this series, and he's going to make a case for us, just making a case for the importance of application. Now, if if you're familiar at all with uh, the James who wrote the book James, James was actually the brother of Jesus, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, when you consider that James actually came to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. So think about this. I don't know for you what it would take if your brother, for you to believe that your brother was the son of God. Right? I don't know about you. I love my twin brothers. I love those guys. But if they came up to me and said, hey, I am divinity with flesh on. I am son, son, I'm God's son. Uh, I'm not believing that no matter what. Right? And we're actually told that James initially didn't believe. He wasn't buying it. But something happened along the way. Something happened, and we're, after the cross, something happened where James actually bought in and believed that Jesus was who he said he was, which I think is one of the greatest um, evidences we have that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was. Because right? he signed up at a time when there was not Christian business. You know, and being a Christian didn't get your foot in the door anywhere. Right? We're talking about a time in history when there was persecution. Christians were scattered. You could lose everything. You could lose your life. Right? Christians were used as human torches. Right? It was an awful time. And James signed up for that. It's amazing. All right, so I want to look at, at, at the book of James. And this is, this is how it begins, actually, in, in verse 1. And then I want to go to our passage. But we just need to look at something here. So verse 1, this is what it says. This is James, a servant of God and of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is just awesome. It's unreal. And then he says this, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. All right, you catch that? Who's, who's this written to? Right, to the 12, is it, is, it written, is it written to everybody for all time in the whole world, even at this time? Right? No, it's written specifically to these, which is a, it's a Jewish way of saying God's people, the, the Jews, the Israelites. Right? Now, now the re, we, need to, we need to stop here. We need to acknowledge something on the front end. Right? And sometimes we as Christians do a really bad job with this, which is why we need to just sit here for a moment and say this out loud. All right, when we read this book, right, this is, this is for us who call ourselves Christians. All right, God's commands, when we read the scriptures, it's for God's, it's for God's people. Right, so if you, if you heard of the Old Testament, New Testament, right, Bible's divided into, it's Old Testament, New Testament. Right, that word testament literally means covenant. Right, so these words were written to, some, to a very specific people who are in a very specific relationship uh, with God, a covenantal relationship. So the Old Testament, when we read, I mean, all the thou shalt's and the thou shalt nots, like those were not given to the entire world, right? When you read in the Old Testament, it's got like the, the Ten Commandments, you know? The Ten Commandments were not given to the entire world, nor were they given to a specific people to police the entire world, right? They were given to God's people. 
after he saved them, fed them, saved their necks, established them and said, now here's, after I had done all that for you, you're my people, this is how I want you to live. Right, in the New Testament, when we, when we read these words, it's the same thing. Right, it's, it's to people who are in a covenant relationship through Jesus, a very specific relationship with God through Jesus. So we just, we have to acknowledge that these are for us because sometimes in Christianity, what we've done is we've taken this thing and we've used it as like a bat to swing at everybody who doesn't act like us. And we end up judging people who never signed up for this. They don't call ourselves a Christian, themselves a Christian. And we read this and we look at their lives. And we're like, huh, huh, huh. You're not doing this very well. And they're like, doing what very well? Right? We can't. Okay, the best illustration I heard is from, from Andy Stanley, pastor I love, huge influence on my life, huge influence on this message. Best illustration I ever heard is he said, it's like, it's like we just moved into a new house and we have, we've met our neighbors. They've got kids. It's great. It's like me trying to tell their kids what to do. Right? It's like me calling up our na- my neighbor Randy and be like, Randy, put Levi on the phone. Need to talk to your son. Uh, I, I want him to, you know, he, he needs to start going to bed half hour earlier. Um, because he needs to get to school a half hour earlier, I think he could really do well some tutoring. Also, I don't like his attitude. Put him on the phone, right? And then calling like the next day and be like, hey, I saw the lights on. He was awake. He didn't go to sleep. Bring him over, all right? I'm going to lay hands on your child. We spank in my home. You know, it's like you would never do that. You never do that, right? I would be going to jail, you know what I mean? Like, and you wouldn't do that because they're not my kids. I don't have any business. Unless it's they're doing something in my yard, I have no business telling them what to do. It's the same way with this book, right? And so if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, first of all, if you've ever experienced that, I am sorry. We can just be dumb sometimes, right? We, we just miss it sometimes. And so if you've ever felt like just this condescending judgmentalism from Christians judging you for not being a very good Christian, I'm sorry about that. And you have to know as we open this up and we look at these life apps, like these, these, these aren't necessarily for you. You can try them. You can do them. It's great, but these are, these are really for us. And so there's no expectation that you put these into practice. You just try at your own risk. Right? But for those of us who are Christians, what it also means is like we, we, we need to lean in these next several weeks. Right? Because these were, these were written, these words were written for us. And this is what, this is what James says. Now going to our passage. James chapter 1, uh, verse 22. This is what it says. It says, do not merely listen to the word. Right? Do not merely, as in only, do not only listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. All right, so I, this is just amazing to me that how relevant this is for us 2,000 years later. Um, James is putting his finger uh, on this truth that, you know what, there, there's this temptation in church culture, just as there was a temptation in synagogue culture, for us to think that, that being here on Sunday morning and putting ourselves through an hour or an hour and a half together, like, like we get credit for that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like God looks down on us, and, and we just could be like, look, God, I, I hope you're paying attention. <laughs> you know, I'm in church on Sunday morning, and I was on time at Mosaic. Nobody's on time at Mosaic. The pastor came in late and stuck in the back door. I saw it. I was in my seat on time, right? And, and like, like, we just get credit for that. You know, and, and I'm sitting here and I'm listening to a sermon and, and I'm not going to do anything about it, but I'm here. You know, as if God looks down on us, you know, and he says, oh my goodness, Brian, hey everybody, listen up. Brian is in church on Sunday morning. Somebody get a pen. He's getting a bonus in 2014. Somebody write it down. Bonus. Brian. Brian's in church. Right here looks, he's like, Marty, Marty is in the house. I see him and everybody's taking notes. Marty is taking notes 
So for his next exam, whatever grade he gets, we are rounding it up. We are rounding it up. Somebody write that down. Right? But we do this. We do this. And, and honestly, it gets worse because we... All right, just out of curiosity. How many people here, you felt guilty in church at some point or another? You, you walked away from church or sitting in church and you're like... I suck it as a human being, you know, or I, I'm a horrible dad or whatever it is. Okay, most of us. All right. It's so weird that we've done this, but, but in like our church culture, depending on if you have a church background, like maybe you're Catholic, oftentimes people who grew up Catholic that I talk to struggle with this. Um, depending on what background you grew up in, we've, we have judged like a good spiritual, quality spiritual experience by how much guilt we feel when it's over. You know what I mean? As if, like, God's desire for your life is that you feel really, really bad, right? And if you come to church, right, and, you, and you're on time, and you listen to a message, and you feel bad, it's like the, it's like the church hat trick, right? The religious hat trick, right? You, you did all three. Um, I actually had friends that every time I used to see them, um, they, they would be, uh, certain friends that would just be kind of moping around, just like looking like, like life is just really bad right now. And, and I would ask them every time. It's like, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? Um, I'm all right. You know, well, what's, what's going on? And the same answer every time. Something to the effect of like, well, you know, God's just really been working on me. I'm feeling really convicted lately. Really convicted. You know, and, and, it, and it happened over and over again. And eventually I picked up like in their mind, like this was a good thing. So it was like bragging rights. Like they were actually kind of showing off a little bit. But I didn't know that, so I just felt bad for them. Right? As, as if that's, that's God's desire. Sometimes we come to think like, man, the more guilty that I feel, like we get credit for listening to a message, sitting here, right? And if you give me courtesy laughs for my jokes, it's like extra credit. And if you feel guilty at the end, that that's ultimately, that's ultimately God's desire. But, but you got to know, right? James is saying, look, if you... If you think just sitting and listening gets you anywhere, right? That, that, that's what God desires for your life. You're missing it. You're missing it because God desires more for you. And so he continues, right? He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says, right? Do what it says, right? Honestly, I feel kind of funny that we even have to have this conversation, but we do have to have this conversation because we're Americans and in this church culture that so many of us have grown up in or had past experiences in, it's become normal. Like, we've come to think that being a Christian is just believing the right things and having your theology in order. Right? Like, that, like ultimately, that's, that's what it takes. And if it never really translates into real life, like, that's fine. That, that's, that's normal. As if there's a difference between what you believe and what you do. Right? The best illustration I've ever heard of this is uh, Francis Chan. Uh, I love Francis Chan. Right? He shares this illustration about, about, you know, if I was to tell my daughter, what if, what if I told my daughter to go clean her room? You know, I said, honey, your room's a mess. You need to go clean your room. And she leaves, and a couple hours comes back, and she says, Dad, I just want to let you know, I memorized what you said. <laughs> yeah. I can, in fact, I can quote it back to you verbatim. In fact, I even know what it means, like, in the Greek. I could, I could write it for you in the Greek. Right? And, and later, you know what? My friends are coming over, and we're actually we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I clean my room. It's going to be a five-week study. Here are the notes. I'm really excited. All right, I think some good is going to come of it. <laughs> right? what, what am I going to say? What is he going to say? He's going to say, honey, I love you. Go clean your freaking room. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I told you to do something. Right? 
But oftentimes, I mean, it, it seems simple and straightforward, but it's just become so normal. It's like, no, I'm a Christian. Like, I'm a Christian. So I, that means I believe in Jesus. I don't do any of that stuff. You know what I mean? I never actually changed my lifestyle, but I, I believe it. And we'll talk about this. In fact, we'll ask, we'll confess this, and we'll ask for prayer on this, sometimes without having any intention of changing anything in our lives, like anything. You know what I mean? So we'll confess, like, man, I'm really struggling in this area. Can you pray for me? And they're like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? I don't know yet, I'm, but I'm, I need you to pray for me. I'm going to pray about it. All right, newsflash. If it's in here, you don't need to pray about it. You know what I mean? Like, I think there comes a point in time where we're like, it's like we're just wasting time praying because we don't want to be obedient. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it just sounds funny, but it's like Noah, if Noah would have just started praying, like, Lord God, I just pray that you would raise up a boat. Would you just build a boat, Lord God, right here, just out of this timber, may your spirit fall down and a boat rise up from the ashes, Lord God, in your name. I claim this boat that is not here, but bring a boat. You know, God is going to say, Noah, pick up the freaking hammer. You know what I mean? I've called you to do this. All right? It seems simple, and I know I'm overstating myself, but man, there's like a, a pandemic. It's just like everywhere, and it's normal. All right? And we need to have an honest conversation about it. And James is saying, look, don't just be a hearer of the word and don't deceive yourself into thinking that that accounts for something. Like, do what it says. All right, do what it says. And here's the thing. Here's my favorite part of this passage, okay? You've got to know this. All right, God, God's got an end game in this, okay? Um, God does not desire for you to feel guilty all the time and to stay there. Like, God actually has something that he's trying to do in you through this. And so James continues, and this is what he says, continuing on, verse 23. He says, those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their face in a mirror and after looking at themselves, they go away and they immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives what? Can we say that together? That gives freedom. I'm sorry, what? Uh, I don't know about you, but when I see the word law, I don't think freedom. Right? Honestly, the rebel in me, when I see the word law, immediately, I think, was made to be broken. Right? I, I, I see law, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking restrictive. I'm thinking narrow. Like, I'm thinking no fun whatsoever. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, law is like zip up your zipper, put on the shackles. Right? That's it. So how in the world, how in the world does James get away with saying the perfect law, those who look intently at the perfect law, that brings freedom? Uh, Because I don't get that, all right? So just to flesh this out and tease it out a little bit, just a couple examples from from my own life that immediately come to mind. Um, When I was was a kid, I, I grew up in a very religious environment. Some of that was not so good, but some of it was really good. And, and I was taught when I was a kid that when it came to my sexuality, when it came to sex, I was, I was taught that sex was more than just a physical thing. Uh, I was taught that, that, that it's a deep part of who you are. It was something created by God to bring a husband and a wife together to be one and to be enjoyed and experienced in the context of marriage. And for me, um, I clung on to that. And, and I didn't do it perfectly, but that was something I latched onto. 
right? And more than that, I, I was taught that, you know what, when you actually, the more sexually active that you are ahead of marriage, I can actually limit the intimacy that you experience in marriage. And to me, for whatever reason, as, as thick as I can be sometimes, like that made sense to me. And so I held on to it. Right? And then I met Megan, and Megan had grown up in a Christian home, and she was taught the same thing. And so when we got married, um, we had both waited. She was my first, and I was hers. And I can tell you, almost not a week goes by. We've been married for over 10 years. Almost not a week goes by that one of us doesn't say, I am so glad we waited. Right? Because as a married man, um, I have gotten to experience freedom that, that very few people get to experience. Now, I know that that's not most people's experience. You know what I mean? Um, I know that we have a variety of stories, uh, and, and every path is their own, and, and that this can be a very tough subject. And so what I am not saying is that God cannot redeem your sexuality, that God cannot redeem your marriage, that God has given up, that intimacy is not possible. I am not saying that at all. All right, God is very good and rather fond of bringing beautiful things out of broken things, right? Bringing beauty out of ashes. That's kind of his job. All right, so you just have to know if this is not your story, and I'm guessing for most of us, it is not our story. God's not done with you yet. And if you're married, God's not done with your marriage yet. Okay, so that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that because we did this particular thing God's way in our marriage, like I've got to experience a freedom that very few people get to experience. Now, when I was a young man, when I was a teenager, did this feel like freedom? (laughs) No, no, it did not. It felt like the opposite of freedom, right? I was on the basketball team in my high school and every Monday morning in the locker room, stories were a flying about that weekend. And this guy was made fun of as the team virgin constantly, right? Well, I did not live in a time where there were no beautiful women, Right? And I had no hormones when I was a teenager. I don't know about you, but I had no hormones. Right? That was not me. That did not feel like freedom. In fact, that felt like the opposite of freedom. It felt like, like very, very narrow, very, very restrictive. Oh, but man, am I glad that people taught me what they taught me. And man, I'm so glad that I chose what felt restrictive as a young man so that I could experience freedom as a married man. Right? And I'm sure some of these stories are in here. We've had a lot of good friends um, that, that made different choices, and they decided when they were young that they had the freedom to be with whoever they wanted. Right? And for some of them, they got pregnant in the process, right? and then he or she left. Right? And they would tell you that the result was not an experience of freedom. God was still at work, but freedom is not what they would describe that experience like. Right, another, um, another example just from my own, my own story is when I was a freshman in college, uh, I did what most college students do, and I, I took my student loan money and bought all kinds of things that I didn't have uh, with money that I didn't have. Uh, so I lived in a house with seven guys, and we would get our student loan checks like at the beginning of every semester, and we would all together go to Best Buy to see who could buy the coolest thing for our house. All right, so I did this. Um, not com- really proud of it, but kind of proud of it because it was fun. Um, but that being said, so the next year I, I went on staff with, uh, with an organization. I kind of started getting my feet with, wet with ministry and it required that I actually fundraise my salary and my ministry expenses. 
right? And so in the process and training on how to fundraise, I actually learned, from, which for me was really the first time that I can remember, I learned what the Bible has to say about money. Come to find out, the Bible actually has a lot to say about money. It talks a lot about money. Um, and so in the process, I realized, oh, I, I'm totally a hypocrite in this area, and I need some help. Right? And so Megan, when we got married that year, we decided that we were going to not buy stuff that we couldn't afford. We weren't going to do the credit card thing. And that we were going to give away 10% to begin with uh, of our money. Um, that that wasn't ours, that that goes to God, and, and we're just going to do that and try to grow our generosity um, over the years. Um, now, that first year, I made $6,000 uh, total. That was my salary uh, for the year, $6,000, which, you know, 10% of $6,000, at it kind of feels like a lot because you're not making anything really. But at the same time, it's like writing that check. Like they were small. They were relatively small. Right? But over the years, um, over the years, those checks have gotten better, bigger. You know, because I make a lot more than $6,000 now. Um, but we decided, you know what? We're going to do this. We're not going to buy stuff that we don't need with money that we don't have. And we're going to grow in our generosity. And, and, we, and we haven't stopped. And I can tell you, as a result um, of just making those decisions, um, we're different for it. And we, we experience a freedom that I know a lot of people aren't experiencing right now, right? Because for, for some of us, maybe a lot of us, right, you decided when you were at some point that you had the freedom to buy whatever you wanted, right? And you had access to what maybe felt like endless lines of credit, Right? And you started charging things that, that you couldn't afford. And maybe for you, you find yourself in a place where you are neck deep in debt and struggling just to keep up and pay the interest on it. All right? And I'd be willing to bet that that doesn't feel like freedom, does it? That feels like the opposite of freedom. Right? And God says, look, I'm, I'm in this for you. I'm for you. All of this stuff is for you. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's because I want you to experience the life it created you to live. I want you to run free, to live life fully. I could go on and on and on. Forgiveness. I was taught that, you know what, you've got to forgive people no matter what. Even when people betray you and they hurt you and they do stuff that is so wrong by this book and any book, you still have to forgive and let go and decide that they don't owe you anything because God has forgiven you. Right? And, and so I took that at face value. It hasn't always been easy, but I've chosen to forgive even though I've been deeply hurt by some people and deeply betrayed. And for me, the result has been freedom. Right? I don't lay at night thinking about those people right? and festering in anger. However, for some of you, you know this. You know people, maybe you are that people that couldn't forgive, that wouldn't forgive. Right? And you have these feelings for these people and it just rips you up. I like Anne Lamott's quote. She said, you know what? Bitterness, refusing to forgive, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Right? Why? Because bitterness, refusing to forgive, it, it does, it's not what it does to the other person. It's what it does to us. It enslaves us. It eats us up. It tears us apart. And James is saying, God is saying, I want you to run free. I want you to live free. This is, this is, for, this is for you. All right, and so in this series, we're going to be looking at several applications, but they don't work unless you actually apply them. And just in case you're tempted to say, you know what, Aaron, I hear you, I read that, I know James was the brother of Jesus, but maybe James just didn't really get Jesus. Because that's not really my understanding of the implications of grace. Maybe James just didn't know what he's talking about. So 
let's just let Jesus talk for himself, okay? So John chapter 8, as we wrap up here. Kind of hard with the mic in your hand. John chapter 8. This is what Jesus has to say. Verse 31, this is what it says. To those who had believed in him, Jesus said this. He said, if, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then, then you will know the truth. And that truth will what? That truth will set you free. If you hold my teaching, right? If you do, if you apply, then you will know the truth. Not just know in some cerebral way, know it in a street smarts way. Know it because it's a reality in your life. Then you'll know the truth and that truth will set you free. All right, so as we begin this series, the big idea, which you gotta get, if you don't apply it, this is all worthless. Right, when it comes to our faith, application is everything and there is an end game and it's not your enslavement and it's not your misery, it's your freedom. All right, let's pray. Lord God, as we begin uh, this journey and this series, uh, I think it only appropriate uh, to take a moment and just pause and do a little bit of self-reflection. And maybe that self-reflection needs to include uh, how we're we're doing and, and how our heart is really doing this morning. All right, is it a posture of coming before you and saying, all right, all right, we can apply some things, but he better not talk about that. I'm not doing that. Lord God, if, if that's, that's our posture, if our posture is resistance, because we've got areas of our life, if we're just really honest, uh, you're not Lord over. And we're make, maybe making some really, really stupid decisions right now. Some really bad, destructive decisions over and over and over again. And Lord God, if you would just just bring those to mind. And if that results in guilt, so be it. Knowing that guilt is not the end game. That's not the goal. The goal is to move us into a place where we are walking and living free, where we can become the kinds of people that you desire us to be and live the reality, the life that is possible in you. And maybe, just maybe, as we begin this journey, Lord, some of us would be courageous enough to say, all right, I don't know where we're going or what we're talking about, but Lord, I'm just going to say yes on the front end. Not necessarily to what Aaron says or suggests, not even necessarily to his interpretation, but if I see it plainly in scripture and I feel like I'm supposed to do something, I'm just going to say yes on the front end. Whatever the cost, whatever it requires of my life, knowing that it's, it's a process, it's one step at a time, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes to that process and to that next step of saying, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. And I will fail and I will fall on my face and I won't do this perfectly, but when I get up, I'm going to keep saying yes. So Lord God, we come before you knowing full well that we all fall short and knowing full well that it is only grace. It is only through grace that we are loved. And so, Lord, we ask, we ask for focus, we ask for strength, we ask for passion, and if we need it, we ask for brokenness. 
We pray these things in your name. Amen.